It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. Okay, welcome to Talk LP Podcast. It's Amber Bradley, your trusty host for stepping into the unscripted side of LP. Special guest for us today, Robert Raff, president of Stanley Security. You're stepping into the hot seat, my friend. How are you? Can't wait. Can't <laughs> wait for a, uh, for a nice afternoon. Yeah, cool. So um, I hear that you love Texas A&M. That's Did I hit that this? spot on? So, 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 that, so that's how we're going to start? <laughs> yeah, okay. So truth be told, a little background on you. We get personal here at uh, Talk LP. You played football for Arkansas. So you yeah. do, so Texans A&M, it's like your arch nemesis or what? So old Southwest Conference. So first of all, it was, it was Texas, Texas number one uh, and then Texas A&M. But uh, then I married my wife, who was a Texas grad, so I had to figure out how to how to how to love Texas. And then, yeah, uh, peace and in then the my daughter decided that she wanted to go to Texas A and M. So then I had to pay for my daughter to go to Texas A and M. So then I had to go figure out how to put the Aggie ring on her and everything else. So it's oh. been a uh, been a uh, um, real challenging event for me as I've gone through this. And since we're so bad. Um, it's might as well cheer on someone who's, uh, who's good. So it's been a, uh, been an interesting, interesting experience. Yeah. I love that. I love that because that's like family, you know, when you're in college, you're like, I will never like, we are, you know, we are loyal, but then you meet your wife. Now you're not like, wouldn't you know it? Now you're sending money there. <laughs> now I'm sending my money there. It's like, I would have never have done that. So one thing I always, of course, you can't listen to a podcast without me talking about how the fact that I was also a collegiate athlete, played tennis, but talk a little bit about, you know, this is off topic, but this is what we do. You know, as a collegiate athlete, you know, I think that sports in itself prepare you for leadership and life and being on a team and really like, you know, learning grit, you know? How do you feel about leadership and how in your career, potentially maybe it was the collegiate sports or something else in your life that kind of prepared you to where you say, I clearly you're a very successful leader leading such a large successful company. And I think our listeners like to know kind of what you personally attribute that to when it comes to leading such an enormous team, especially in 2020, which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. The um, you know I I I I think that the way that I that I look at it is it, the reason I like golf today very different than what I liked football or basketball early on when I could actually when I still had my knees. Um, but the I think you learn something in a team sport uh, that is, that you know that it's always bigger than you, and it is it is something that you need. 11 people or five people or on a soccer field, 10 people, you know, whatever, whatever the game is, you need more than yourself and you need to, and you are as good as your weakest player on the team. And, uh, and that weakest player will always be, you know, will always be uh, picked on. And, and so you've got to be able to, to really strengthen uh, the entire team. It's as good as working on bringing your lowest levels up to a baseline and and not always depending on the same 80-20 rule where you're always depending on those 20%. Uh, 
when you look at something like tennis uh, or golf or, you know, something that's much more um, you're depending on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at both of them, but when, what I love about those sports is when you are, um, you know, on the 16th, 17th, 18th hole, or you are in a third set and you're down five, four and, or you're down two strokes, you know, it's within yourself. And um, there's no one to, no one to blame, uh, no one to look at. It's the competition that has to come out inside of your soul to be able to, to, to be able to compete. And, um, and I think that that is, um, you know, if anybody knows me, it's part of probably, you know, being competing is, uh, is, is a huge part of this. And I think as I've come into Stanley security over the last, I mean, I was in the tools division of Stanley for the first 15 years of my career and have been in the security division for the last five. So I'm very recent, but I had a very interesting perspective on this business and it was getting people up to a baseline and getting the right team on the field and shaping the culture. And, uh, and that's, I, th- I think a lot of that came from athletics came from sports and the desire to, uh, to win. Yeah. I think, you know, when you get to a level like yours, I mean, you have to have that within you because it's so difficult. Uh, you know, when you're clearly leading such a large organization and dealing with all of the intricacies of that, and then you layer on 2020, <laughs> right? So if you think about, you know, health, personal health, company health, uh, and the security and safety of all of these things that you have to deal with from supply chain to your employees to, um, you know, you guys sending people out to do installs and maintenance and all of these things. Tell us from your perspective, like, from a broader view, you know, with, with security, health, and safety beginning to merge into kind of one experience, how has that impacted Stanley um, from a customer side, but also from an internal side, whichever one you want to take? Well, I think that, you, you know, you touched on it, and it seems like you've been reading our strategic plan. The, um, uh, so I'm glad you were in the, uh, the presentation <laughs> to our CEO the other day. Um, yes. The, <laughs> The, with the three divisions inside of Stanley Security that I, that I run, the electronic security business is one of them. There is a healthcare division that really focuses on RTLS, and which we have contact tracing and proximity management within that division. And then our automatic door group uh, that is also in there. It's actually more of a health and safety solution than it is uh, just a just a, a, an alarm burger or, 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 you know, just look what our normal business has been. I would tell you that as 2020 pivoted, especially from, you know, I'll I'll never forget the presentation on March 13th of this past year when we were, when we had to project what we were going to finish Q1 at. And I don't think we sold anything for the last 17 days of the month. Um, It was um, a complete pivot of, all right, we need to get back to our core values of a company. And the first core value of our company is, is how do we protect our own employees um, number one, our customers, our customers, customers, um, really hold on to that core, uh, core business. Our customers were reacting in all different shapes, depending on if they were in, um, in retail or whether they were in, uh, food and bev or whether they were in industrial industry, you know, some were incredibly busy. Um, some were 
completely, you know, and trying to work with some that, that were completely closed. Um, and it's still that way today in regards to state to state as to how each one of these are interacting. So, I mean, we are, uh, we really stayed firm to, um, you know, I don't believe that in our electronic security team today, we may have had maybe a dozen flights since March 15th, a dozen flights out of 2,500 people. Um, I mean, we are locked. We are locked down. Our teams are locked down. Um, where necessary, we're still sending, you know, service and, and install technicians where the skill sets need to be at the right, right place. Uh, but we're really trying to make sure that we are very cautious and we're putting the right PPE in the hands of our, of our, of our technicians. We're doing a lot of training. We're doing a lot of timeouts. We're doing a lot of testing. Um, and we're doing it across the globe. The other dynamic in, rega in regards to it is, is that our second or third largest market is actually the Nordics, where, you know, they're pretending like they didn't even have it. And so everything's still normal. And you have that compared to, you know, our France region, which is huge. And, um, and they are in constant lockdown, lockup, lockdown. So it's just a very different in trying to manage it on all bases. So when you think about, you know, what I heard there so much too is like the, the ability to adapt, right? And, yeah. and knowing how to keep the main thing, the main thing, right? Which is your people. Because, um, you know, without them, you're doing nothing. No. Right, right. Um, so, so when you think about the security end of things, and our listeners, as you well know, are loss prevention professionals of all varying sizes and shapes, footprints yeah. from their retail perspectives, and um, all up and down the ladder, but but thinking about them and you know Stanley's commitment to uh, helping them, you know, keep their customers and employees safe. Uh, you're the shift of making security such a bigger thing, right? Especially with now you're talking about you know there's the talk of the uh, thermal cameras and temperature taking, like all of that health and safety thing being pushed to the forefront. Like from your perspective, what do you how do you think that impacts the LP person and, you know, and Stanley's response in supporting them? It's the dynamics, the, the dynamics that have occurred over the last nine months have accelerated our industry. You know, we say internally in some of our, in some of our meetings that it has accelerated our industry in a, from a technological and a cultural, um, maybe a decade. Um, it's just, it's, it's really accelerated the pace of change. And what I mean by that is, is that we are, first of all, who you talk to every day, whether it's your LP, but everything is, is so tied to what technologies can we, because the use cases have to be more expansive than an alarm bird system. Right. Uh, it, it's got to be, there's the, the use cases are how do we reopen? How do we, how do we get people into our stores? How do we make sure we're protecting the assets that once they're in the stores that we're protecting those assets, knowing that there are, you know, they don't want to run into confrontations when they're in some of their stores. And, um, and, and especially with COVID, which has accelerated this as I've had conversations with some of them, and it's uh, it becomes a challenge at the at the floor level, so really trying to create different use cases based on the data which we can now get out of the bar of our of our equipment, and really trying to figure out all right if it works here how do we continue to to, to move the needle, 
and we see these conversations really happening at the CIO level and, uh, and, and really going up the, the, the tech spectrum as to how we're, um, how we're dealing with these. We, we know that we have to pivot and pivot fast uh, because as we exit out of this, um, you know, as one of our customers told me, you know, three months ago, I'm not concerned now about COVID-19. I'm co- concerned about COVID-21, 22, 23. Um, is this going, you know, post-SARS, post, you know, what's, what's next? And I got to be better prepared next time than I was this time. And I'm not going to overspend on it but I got to figure out how I'm going to solve it. Yeah, I love that because it certainly exemplifies, you know, Stanley working with uh, the LP community to find a solution, not just shoving things down people's throats. Like I thought it was really cool as we were going through this pandemic, you know, talking to LP people to say, yeah, I went to my most trusted solution provider and said, you know, do I need thermal cameras? Like do I need to take everyone's temperatures or coming in and out of our DC? Like what's happening? And you know, there were some, vendors that are like, yeah, those are expensive. Absolutely. Let me give you a hundred. And then others that said, no, you know what? Let's just wait and see how this technology is progressing. Does it even work? Does it even matter? As the evolution of this conversation started, Hey, look, you may have a temperature, but you may not. Right. So it was interesting to me, you know, people may say, Amber, why are you interviewing solution providers? Right. And it's like, well, to me, you guys have, you're the subject matter experts, like you're living and breathing this technology every single day. And especially from where you sit, you know, um, as president, talk a little bit about, not you, you don't have to get specific of different companies' names and things like that, but like overall kind of what are you seeing? Like what, when you take, when you're saying customers are pivoting, is there certain technologies um, that you're seeing are like, hey, this may be the cutting edge, the bleeding edge, the next thing. Like, is there something that you could point to or maybe a couple things that, you know, our listeners may say, oh, I haven't, haven't really thought of that. So depending on, you know, you know from a different, probably from an LP perspective, then, then reentering corporate headquarters or reentering um, a, a, a distribution center um, or something of that sort. Uh, but, you know, visitor management is definitely on the rise. Uh, we're definitely seeing a, a significant uh, increase within hospitals where, you know, they, they, they've got main entrances where, um, you know, they have a controlled, um, a controlled, controlled access point where they, they you know, they, they, they typically had volunteers sitting out there, you know, just greeting you and saying which way to go in the maze yeah. uh, of a yeah. hospital. Um, the, um, uh, when, uh, when, when we're talking to more to, um, uh, to retail, you know, one of the things that we are getting a lot of, uh, a lot of interest on is our touchless access doors in, in for bathrooms or for offices. That's interesting. Um, and, um, and, and we've had several large, uh, companies automate their, uh, their interior doors, and, um, you know, we're coming out with better solutions that are, are more DIY. We're trying to come out with more that are, that are, that are um, not so complex to, to, to install, to get them more price competitive. Uh, but, you know, you go walk into a bathroom and you don't touch anything except the door when you have to get out of it. Oh, I love and... that. I love that. <laughs> you know, you know the, the low tech thing, they've got these little door things that you have to put your foot under or something. Like, I'm not I a big... 
I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no. So I, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're really, um, uh, we're, we're in, in part of it is the experience. Part is the psych, the psychological effect on the consumer. Yeah. Of, I know that, you know, this, this place is trying to, to take care of me. And, and then part of it is, is, you know, you know, it's amazing how airports came through and they figured out that they could just turn a corner and you don't have to have a door, but very few, very few other places could ever figure that out. Uh, yeah, most of them do. Funny. And, um, and so we, we're, we're, we are seeing that from, um, we are seeing some where we are in, to your point, we're not installing a lot of, uh, of, uh, thermal cameras. Um, but we are offering uh, a lot of other solutions in regards to visitor management, which would, you know, really try to add for access control and getting monitoring the people that are going in and out. Yeah. Super important. And you, you make great points here because we've talked about this a lot is that never before. And I think our history is that the cleanliness and how you take care of your customers from a, how they view whether, how clean you are becoming such a huge competitive advantage because right. I mean, even to where the bathroom thing to me is you always heard your mama always say, if you wouldn't eat in their bathroom or something, then don't eat there because it's always gross. Like I'm pretty sure that's never been more, more apparent than these days because I, I, you know, as a consumer notice more about the cleanliness of places. Cause you know, if they're not taking care of them, they're not taking care of anything else. So, Talk a little bit about, you know, that evolution, that quick, you know, and, and pivot to cleanliness being the competitive advantage, um, even from a restaurant space perspective, or like you're saying, healthcare, um, you know, that being a competitive advantage and how you've seen that pivot. Um, well, one of the, one of the things that came up in, and it's not necessarily, to our, to our electronic security team, but it is something that is crossing over very, very quickly, which we, we, we've, for the last, I guess, decade, we've had a, uh, a, a quote unquote healthcare business uh, that is, that has really been an RTLS, uh, real-time location sensor business that is, uh, uh, that tracks ventilators and IVs and, 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 down to room level within a hospital. So at a nurse's station, they can track uh, all the equipment. And it's really been solely focused on, on hospitals. What we found very quickly was that the tags could actually talk to each other. And instead of the tags talking to a repeater in the ceiling, the tags could actually talk to each other and say if they're six feet apart. Oh, that's now, cool. All of a sudden, now all of a sudden we can tell the tag, hey, do you want to make a noise or do you want to vibrate when the tags are six feet apart? Um, and so you have the difference between contact tracing and proximity management and, and one of them being, hey, listen, I want to have an audible or I want to have uh, a light go off if you are within six feet of a certain tag. The other one saying, I'm not going to do it. For example, if, if you're in a if you're in an environment where you're always going to be close to people, you don't want the thing buzzing on your belt every every five seconds. Um, but it will track what two devices are close to each other, and then if someone does get COVID, they can go back to the reporting 
and say these two tags spent six hours in the over the last two weeks spent six hours together within six feet and so instead of having to quarantine an entire population you're only quarantining the tags that got close together for whatever you believe that's that certain metric needs to be so if you say 15 minutes is the max i want two tags to be closest together that i'm going to put a quarantine around you can isolate that group of people we've actually done one top secret facility in the united states that had that could only bring 20 percent of their workforce in and they weren't allowing them to work from home because of the sensitivity of the information that was going through there that facility in a period of four weeks has now got 85 percent of their people back and we've already, the U.S. has already deployed their assets a couple of times um, since they've been back. So really- Man, that's amazing. fascinating. So they can get together. They know how, they know how, to, how, to, how to space themselves and, and trying to make it a cleaner, safer environment. Um, so you, you think about distribution centers, which have to be open. You, you think about um, some, some ways that you uh, can try to, try to keep safety and health uh, in, in the environment of, of where you are. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, what's really been fascinating is talking to solution providers like yourselves that, you know, set that, that really did wait to look and, and see what the technology and what this pandemic is going to demand from the technology and not just a very like trunk slammer type of thing, right? Where you're like, oh, try this, try this, try this. It's like, well, wait, let's just see, you know, being able to take care of our customers, you know, with with really creative solutions now, but certainly not like, oh yeah. Cause I, I was asking someone, um, one of our LP executives, like if you buy a bazillion dollars worth of thermal cameras and then next year, no one cares about temperatures, if that's gonna be the case, like then what? Right. So it strikes me that you guys certainly are um, are, are trying to uh, combat these challenges with a very methodical approach. And as a matter of fact, we have not only have we hired a ton of people uh, in solution engineering and it, it, to 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 work on perfecting some of these solutions, we've got relatively no revenue associated um, and so we, and, and every, every one of our product review boards is what is the base case of fixing the situation in which we're in today, but what are the use cases in which our customers are going to want going forward? So we can, we, we can have a, a, a roadmap that can, can fulfill those as we go forward. So we're not giving them a one, um, a one use case, uh, that we're in a, we're in a, a very traumatic scenario right now. Let's throw the bucket at this. That's not. That's not going to get us. That's not going to get us anywhere. It's not going to get us any credibility with our customers either. Yeah, certainly not sustainable when you think about it. Um, which is pretty cool. Okay, so when you think about switching gears a little bit, not to football, but something different. So thinking about you know you as a leader and and how you you know um, lead your team. Are there, there, is there any one philosophy or, you know, uh, people talk about uh, Lencioni or these other folks, right, that have written all these books and, and, you know, talk about their different philosophies. Like, is there one thing that you, that's been a mantra for you as you've gone through your career? Um, or is it, do you pull from several different people or thought leaders? 
so I would say two very specific themes that probably have gone through my career um, from running different divisions inside of Stanley Black and Decker. And um, the first is, is always hire people smarter than you are <laughs> and don't be afraid. Um, it, it is, I am, I am surrounded with a team of a, a, a very diverse eight out of my 10 directs are, are diverse um, in, on my, on my team today. And, um, and, and challenge me in, in every way possible. Um, and I would say that, you know, seven of those, um, are female and they really helped me in a ton of different dynamics of how we worked through the pandemic with all of our employees and how work life, um, was coming together. And, uh, now I would, I would tell you that never be afraid to hire someone and, and you got to have the confidence in your own self to be able to do that. Yeah. That's a very mature thing. Cause a lot of people like you're like, you went right to don't be afraid because a lot of people go, well, wait, if I'm going to, if, if I go by that, aren't they going to just go promote that person? It's a very mature perspective. Yeah. And, and this, and the, this, the second one is, is that I, I place a lot of trust. Um, I, I implicitly, trust and when trust is broken it's broken for good but it, i mean i don't i don't have a three strike rule uh, <laughs> the uh uh but because i do put so much emphasis on on hiring really really in, in um, smart people around me that i i i then give them the keys of the car and um you know my role is to because uh, i didn't grow up in security i didn't grow up in technology i grew up as a leader of North America on the tool side. Uh, so I was running DeWalt and Black and Decker and Stanley and all that stuff five years ago uh, for, uh, uh, for Stanley Black and Decker. And, and this was not my, um, this was not my background. And, and so it was surround yourself with the best people, then get them to play on the same team. And uh, it's taken us some time. Uh, there's no doubt inside of Stanley Security, we were very segmented. We were very siloed. Um, I would tell you today that our conference calls go from the Nordics to France to the U.S. and we're all aligned and, and it's, uh, it's an awesome feeling. It really is nice. Yeah, that's certainly a testament to your leadership um, because that's not a small ship to turn for sure. Um, okay, so last question. You know, a lot of people would look at your position and be like, man, that is something to strive for, um, you know, to be that C-level folks, you know, that's just uh, driving change and leading a huge company. What would you give if you could talk to your, I don't know, 21, 22 year old self? Um, is there any advice you would give yourself? And then I think our, our listeners can take this away, you know, because, you know, a lot of people, if you're listening to this podcast, you're clearly trying to better yourself in some way. At least I like to think so. So, so, you know, from an education perspective, you know, they're trying to get better, better themselves. Like, is there something that you would say, hey, you know, I wish I could have done this different or from my 22 year old self, maybe it's stay the course. Like, what would that be for you? So a, a couple of things. And first of all, don't grow up too fast. Don't skip, don't skip the parts that are the hardest. Um, I mean, I think all of us, uh, you, you, you look back at your career and you go, 
Well, that, that, that part of my life really was tough. And, um, you know, my parents owned auto parts stores in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I worked business and, and really, um, knew what, what was going on inside of a retail environment, inside of a, a very small, um, uh, auto parts store, getting, getting crashed by O'Reilly's or getting crashed by a auto zone in the middle and trying to figure out how we were going to, to make it. And, as I go back and I start talking to customers uh, of ours, I always pull from probably that experience. And I hated that experience. I did not like it at all, but I learned the most when I'm sitting there in front of a, inside of one of those uh, stores that it, it's real. It's all, it's all real. I mean, it's, and you quickly learn that decisions that are made, you know, I, I, I tend to be a realist. I, I pick up the phone and I call my, my team when I'm in a, when I'm in a closed, because I typically believe that no real good decision actually gets made inside of a corporate conference room. Uh, <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> the, uh, that, that what's the impact of, to our customers and to our team when we make these, when we make these decisions, what's the, what's the, what's the flow down effect. And yeah, you make some bad ones, you make some bad decisions in some of these, but you also, you also got to be able to have the um, the courage to say when it is a bad decision to say, all right, I, I, I messed that up. Let's change. Let's change course. And let's change course fast. And my team would probably tell you, yes, we've done that. You know, in, in my five years, I probably quickly changed course on something that I was really committed to, you know, five or six times. And uh, they go, while well, you're flip-flopping, I'm like, I can, you can call it flip-flopping or you can say it was the wrong direction. Yeah. And, and let's, let's, let's get it right because it really messed up a customer relationship or it messed up a, an employee relationship. Um, and, um, and, and let's get it right. Yeah. I think that speaks uh, volumes to, you know, a leader being okay with saying, whoops, you know, it, it, this isn't turning out the way I thought or I wanted to. So let's change direction. But you, you got it especially when you're dealing with 10,000 employees and, and they, you don't want to become so encumbered by your own bureaucracy that you never change. And, and we had to change. So we had to do some things fast. And when you move fast, you're going to make some mistakes. And, um, and, and so that is uh, from a culture standpoint and from a, uh, from a customer centricity standpoint, um, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to move. You have to, make some changes to this and, and, and the business model is changing so much every day. Um, the business model is completely, the traditional business model of a security company has totally changed over the last six years. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's not the days of uh, installing it for absolutely nothing and then trying to make it back on the monitoring because there is no monitoring margin anymore. So you're having to figure out how you, how the, how the, how the business model that was, is going to take you into the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that uh, it's been a crazy 2020. I really appreciate you stepping into the Talk LP hot seat. Robert Raff, president of Stanley Security. Thank you so much. It's really a peek in both professional and personal. That's what we provide here at Talk LP. Right. And I think it's cool because then you get to know, you know, if you're thinking about doing business with Stanley or you've seen them in the, you know, and, and you guys are big. So it's nice to put a personal touch to such a large company and, and then knowing that it's being run um, 
really responsibly, to be honest. So we appreciate you, Robert. Thank you so much for coming in to Talk LP Podcast. Thank you, Amber. Appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks, Stanley Security, too. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.